founding vision of Maranatha Bible School. I want to be transparent this morning. I want to be honest. I want to be as realistic as I possibly can. However, uh, I will have to admit there are some personal um, opinions in this message, so you can... Uh, you can uh, eat the uh, sunflower seeds and just spit out the shells wherever appropriate. My mind was drawn to Psalm 16. Verse 5. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen to me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord, who hath given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night season. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. We have so much, so much. The beginning here, I'd like to paint a picture, stroke by stroke, of what the founding fathers of Maranatha Bible School put in their minutes as they began this organization. Extremely interesting to me. I quote from the minutes of the Central Mennonite Church. Did you know Midwest almost got named Central Mennonite Church? But it was stroked out. And underneath, (laughs) it read Midwest Mennonite Fellowship. I thought that was a dramatic improvement. So I quote from them. On March 21 to 23, the entire committee, which constituted Samuel Yoder, Chairman, Walter Beachy, Secretary, Homer Miller, Leighton Martin, and Victor Miller, met at Napanee, Indiana. We discussed the following reasons for having our own Bible school. Number one, we need more direct involvement in teaching and administering a Bible school for our young people. Number two, there is some geographical need. Number three, to provide Christian fellowship to aid in broadening fellowship and acquaintance. In parenthesis, we want to maintain openness with other Bible schools. End quote. So, we have our brush. We are painting a picture. They also wrote, We discussed how and by whom such a Bible school should be operated. Further in informing Our, this is the first term they used, our Bible school, they wrote, and I quote, 
Purposes of our Bible school. Number one, to encourage believers in a wholehearted commitment to the Lordship of our Savior Jesus Christ. To prepare, number two, to help prepare our youth for a lifetime of meaningful Christian service in whatever field the Lord will call them. Number three, to help one's understanding and appreciation for the Bible, the Word of God. Number four, to provide meaningful Christian fellowship and to broaden their fellowship and acquaintance and to develop and stimulate wholesome attitudes toward the home congregation and ministry. There was one more goal listed in the 1978 yearbook, which was the first yearbook for Maranatha Bible School, and that stated to promote and instill an appreciation for an, our Anabaptist Christian heritage. And if you will check the 2018 yearbook, there's one more added, and that is uh, to develop skill in the application of the scriptures in a daily walk as preparation for eternity. So back to the first meeting, they discussed curriculum, they discussed autos, they discussed the radio, and then set guidelines on social policies such as no physical contact between brethren and sisters. They talked about dating age. They discussed chaperones, more commonly known as tar buckets. Um... What types of games that were allowed to be played? Further, they outlined general appearance and dress, saying, We believe the Bible teaches modesty, purity, simplicity, and holiness of life. Further, they wrote, We recommend that brethren wear the plain coat and other clothing that complement modesty and simplicity to foster conviction against ornamentation, Worldliness, fashionable, and loud-colored clothing. Shirts are to be long-sleeved, properly buttoned, and trousers that fit decently and modestly, and shoes which are in harmony with the non-conformed life. We further request, brethren, to abstain from modern hairstyles and fads, that the sideburns shall not be below mid-ear, and that the back be properly tapered and thinned. So you have a few strokes that picture a male student at Marietta Bible School. Now, we will paint the ladies' picture. We ask the sisters to dress as women that profess godliness, avoiding clothing that appeal to unregenerate men. We believe that the cape dress or one of similar design is a good pattern to uphold the biblical teaching of modesty and purity, and our sisters are to wear mid-calf length dresses of this design with at least three-quarter length sleeves. Sisters are to wear dark footwear consistent with the non-conformed life, avoiding sheer hose. Sisters are required to give heed to the scriptural teaching of uncut hair, neatly arranged on the head, over which a proper-sized covering is to be worn. The covering is to be in more prominence in the hair, than the hair. The next mention of painting those pictures that we just painted 
Next mention of guidelines in relation to standards of behavior was in the third official meeting when the newly formed MBS board met with the potential principal. And he asked, what is a sporty or flashy car? What is an acceptable hairstyle for a sister? What constitutes an acceptable cape dress? How do we avoid problem situations? You know what that's called? The rubber meeting the road. That's what that's called. And for your information, there's quite have been quite there have been quite a few board meetings since that discussing where the rubber meets the road. You see, there's a vision. But in that vision, there's details. We can, we can be very, very idealistic. We can, we can say the covering needs to be adequate. It, the hair needs to be properly whatever. Uh, and the guy's trousers are supposed to be to complement the non-conform life. But well, what, 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 how, how do you do that? Then you have the question, shall we make a great big book or shall we not make a great big book? Another vision, from what I can see, as was that the board was to keep the tuition as low as possible. For the first year, it was 45 bucks. It didn't take long till it was 90. Keep the tuition as low as possible and to keep costs as low as possible. I distinctly remember sitting in these benches and the business administrators got up and he said, I'm using fictitious numbers here, uh, our budget was 69000 and the Lord blessed us, and we got back. We operated for 63.5. I will inject here. That if you are involved in a ministry and expecting your help to keep with you long time, I suggest that you sit down with them and say, is what we are paying you adequate to meet your family's needs? especially long-term staff. Now, I will say here this morning, I have no access to grind. I was part of, I considered to be a flaw in the vision when I sat on the board and set long-term helps wages. But when I got in that position, they paid me twice, more than twice, of what the previous man made, and it was barely enough. 
I'm just being transparent here. So, I, some some of these visions have some flaws in them. One of the, one of the uh, observations I made was that they also wanted to keep the enrollment as absolutely as high as they possibly could. So they had up to 98 students. They had this place full. They had a house across town full. They shipped students up to Sam Yoder's house, up to 98 students. I look back, and brothers and sisters this morning, it is absolutely amazing what these people did with the resources that they had. My hat is off. It is unbelievable. The dedication and the sacrifice that people made here. I'm the business administrator. My day is full. Sam Yoder was the business administrator and the assistant principal. They had four teachers in an 8 by 12 room. About, about that big. I'm glad it had a fan in it, because if it didn't, probably the B.O. would knock them flat. <laughs> Unbelievable. And seemingly endless energy. So the question comes, did the Founding Fathers' vision have some flaws? Well, sure it did. Because all visions have flaws. They simply do. There's a distinct possibility that the vision that Maranatha has currently has some flaws. Undoubtedly it does. But our job, whatever vision we have for God's work, our job is when the flaws are made evident that we adjust the vision to God's plan. When that becomes evident. To adjust our vision and maintain biblically scriptural application is one of the biggest challenges that Maranatha faces and that Midwest faces as a whole. How can we adjust our vision? How can we operate in the culture and the environment that we have, particularly with technology? It is a tremendous challenge that faces us today. I say our, our founding, the founding fathers of, of, of Maranatha Bible School basically had it right. I have no qualms, absolutely none, with their vision when it comes to doctrine. There were a few procedural visions, I just alluded to one, uh, that they probably had. When you work with, I, I, I repeat, I have no axe to grind. I'm just simply trying to be transparent. When you operate an organization on as minimal amount of money that you can, and, I, and I, I will inject here, that generation is a di little different generation than I, did, I, I am. Okay, so they're, 
their frame of reference, their their perspective, etc., when it comes to funds and all that kind of stuff, change as okay. They were just tired. That's why that's what we're taught. All right, and so, uh, but it takes money to have staff, and I'm not sure. It seems to me there was a shortage of staff, and I just named one: the business administrator and the assistant principal being one. They had a shortage of staff. They had a maximum amount of students. Now, when you are running staff hard, basically to the ragged edge, and you have maximum amount of students, 98 students in this hall, folks, that is a recipe for disaster. I'll be straightforward. I'll be honest with you. That is a recipe for disaster. Maranatha Bible School, and I, I, I want to be very careful here, but did not have some glorious years. There's a few years that weren't very glorious. Not enough staff, too many students, not adequate uh, uh, filtering of uh, evaluating the students come in at, at Maranatha to develop a, a party mentality we're coming to Maranatha for the fun I'm not reflecting on anybody came to Maranatha at any particular time and I'm not I'm not painting every student with every brush I'm simply saying generally speaking in the late 80's Maranatha Bible School was too much of a party place. I was on the board. So if you want to point fingers, just point fingers at me. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'll take full responsibility. We were having a board meeting in 1981, I believe. 1991, pardon me. 1991. It's through the 80s, early 90s, 1991. We have a board meeting. We're interviewing staff. I'm going to name a few names here. Uh, Wendell and Lolita Schrock came into the room, sat down, and we discussed the, the room, I mean, the, the year, etc. and, like, would you be interested in coming back? And Wendell said, uh, we don't believe that we can. Oh, why not? Because we can't put out fires as fast as they're lit. You ever hear of a watershed? Thank you, Wendell, for being honest. When Wendell and Levita walked out of that room, folks, that was a watershed moment. We looked at each other and we said, you know what? Somebody is going to have to start running this Bible school and it is not going to be the students. (laughs) 
So if you pick up a handbook today, I felt terrible. Honestly did. I'm sitting in Ohio. I'm saying, replying to these students, sure, you can come, you can come, you can come. They come here, and they disrupt the place to the point where you're losing health, to the point where your best students are saying, I don't think we're coming back either. Because we can't hack the tension between the staff and the students. You know what? I, I guess we're going to have to start sorting. So you pick up a handbook today, you'll have a pastor's questionnaire with seven, eight questions, somewhere along there. That is the reason. Skimmed 30% right off the top. I don't know what happened. I assume that the student looked at that application and said, you know what, I'm going to be either in trouble with registrar of man at the Bible school or I'm going to be in trouble with my pastor. And he never even bothered applying. It took us three to four years to refill the Bible school. Brothers and sisters, this morning, the best thing that happened to Maranatha Bible School in the last 30 years. The best thing. As much as I would like to help anyone coming in here, this is not a reform school. It's not a party place. It is a place to get close to God. Sure, you have good times. You see, it is critical in this environment, particularly, that the focus, that the vision of what our founding fathers wanted actually happens here. Focusing on Jesus Christ. Focusing on the, and strengthening students' relationship with Jesus Christ. And you know what? That vision, that focus... In, an environment, in, a, in a Bible school setting, can so easily be lost. If, if the environment is not very closely monitored, I'm not talking about a police state, I'm simply saying observing, doing, acting, whatever it takes to keep the focus on what it, we're here for. Especially with with people in their, with young adults. You know, but when a young adult hits 20, 22, 24, a lot of things have happened since 17 years old. And back in those days it was 16. And that's another good thing that happened. There's a lot happens between 16 and 17. And so we moved the age from 16 to 17. 
to help to stabilize the environment. A lot of things happen between, and I repeat, between 16 and, and I mean 17 and 22, especially when it comes to hormones. Yeah. You see, and I, I speak respectfully of all youth. You and I know that at 17, what was cool, what was in, what was all that, had a whole lot more weight in our life than it did at 22. Right? Sure. And so... Um, you have an environment, in a Bible school environment, the potential for those aspect of immaturity, and I say that kindly, to derail what, what the purpose is. There must have been peer pressure at Maranatha Bible School back in the early days because... The, in the 1980 Midwest Ministers Meeting, Leighton Martin gave a topic entitled, The Dangers of Peer Pressure in Our Bible School. And also in the same meeting, How to Prepare Your Youth to Come to Bible School. One thing I observed is in the early days, as they had their ministers meeting, there was, there was staff giving testimony, there was these topics on, on preparing the young people, you see, Maranatha was kind of like a galvanizing effect. And, you know, this was the, kind of the focus thing. Someone asked me a question recently, uh, a couple of years ago. In the early days of Midwest, the Bible school was kind of a focal point. Okay, this is what we kind of worked for. This is, this is kind of a bonding agent of, of all the Midwest churches. What is our bonding agent today? I'll throw that out. Think about it. Some people say, well, why, why should a Bible, be, Bible school see, be so detailed and, and behavior and dress and all those kind of things? It's because if those things are not regulated, Maranatha Bible School can turn into a fashion show. It just simply can. And those pressures, if left unchecked, will, de will derail the main object of why we're here. And, and so, and the rubber meets the road. You've got to look at it as it is and answer questions to the matrons, to the deans, these things are real. What is it? Because all these things change. You go back to the 1980, uh, early 80s, and the girls had their hair like, whoa, up here. You know, I don't know how they got it up there. Is it a sky hook or what? And the guys, you know, and they, guys wanted to run around with the heel, you know, heels in front of their shoes. They call them platform shoes. I don't know what. But anyhow, they had platform shoes. And... Is that okay? Is it not okay? Do you just let it go? 
Then you have the hormones. Guy come to me, he says, I want to talk to you. I said, sure. We go in the prayer room, he said, I got a problem. I said, so what's your problem? He said, there's two girls here that I really like, and he says, I can't study. I don't know which one I want. I can't study. I can't sleep. I can't eat. What he really wanted to know what my response was, because one of the girls was my daughter. <laughs> I flatly deadpanned him. No response whatsoever. I said, you know what? Forget it. That's not what you're here for. Yeah, if you want to keep your eyes open, fine. Go home, pray about it six weeks. Still seems like it's a thing to do. You know what? Girls are not normal here. <laughs> they pull all kinds of fun. So does the guys. It's not normal. You don't have no, You can look, you can watch a girl for three weeks here, and you still may not even half know what's going on. All right. So I says, you know, just forget it. Go back, eat, go sleep, go whatever you need to do, and study and get what you're here for. Then go home. If you have time to think about it, go ahead and think about it. See, I don't know. I've said many times, and I'll repeat here, I don't know of any arm of the church that has the potential to go bad quicker than a Bible school. Folks, it can happen here in one week. I have seen it. One week. All you have to do, for some reason, is let the student body know that say you have a wimpy principal. Or you have a soft dean or matron is not going to make an issue out of everything, anything. And you have big troubles. Seriously, big troubles. I say a Bible school cannot afford to have more than 5% of students that are not here for the right reason. I mean, carrying a rebellious attitude. 5%. That constitutes about two or three students. 10% can trash the whole system. I've been here where it was so bad that I, as administrator, our assistant principal, would walk down the hall and the students would be like this, and as I went by, they went like this. You could cut the tension with a knife. Vision and youth is a tremendously challenging. It is so easy to get
bitter. That's the way they want to act. You can harbor hatred in your heart. I appreciate that this morning. When you take in hurt, can you give out oxygen? I'm telling you what, a lot of oxygen given out here. A lot of oxygen. It is such a blessing to hear people say that one of Maranatha Bible School's strengths is a student-staff relationship. That speaks volumes to the quality of the students. It speaks more volumes for the quality of the staff. Don't tell me how much you know till you tell me how much you care. Till you show me how much you care. And it is amazing. There's a sign in the office. Without relationship, equal rebellion. You see, our, our, our youth need godly, biblical, conservatively, conservative, spiritual, solid role models. I go back to my youth at Bible school. The one thing that impacted my life at Bible school was a simple fact that your church doesn't operate on automatic. If you want your church to be the kind of a church that you believe is going to bring you to where you want to be, you personally must unashamedly be committed to the Word of God, to biblical truth, and to biblical application. If you aren't willing to do it yourself, don't expect the church to survive. And you need to live a conservative, which I call, safe lifestyle. Some people don't like the word conservative. To me, it's just simply safe. Just making your decisions on the safe side, that's just what it is. When you do that, that affects all aspects of your life. Our youth are full of questions. And it's our responsibility to give them biblical answers that work so that they can successfully navigate their way through our culture today. And that's not going to come by hard, iron, thumb-down, 
thick book, procedural methods. Brother Lee Schrock, which is Dan Schrock's brother, was a principal at, at uh, Carbon Hill Bible School, and we were having a discussion here at a reunion. And I said, I says to him in our conversation, I said, I can't believe, as I look back, how naive I was when I went to Bible school. He looked at me square in the eye, and he said, weren't we all? I have to remember that. Sometimes I think students don't do too good at Bible school. They should do better. They should know better. But then, if I recall, it was Dave Fry stood right where I'm standing, and he says, how many of you students have lost a parent? Full one-fourth of a student body's hand went up. I stood on the front porch of my house at home with my dad standing beside me at 17 years old telling me, Dennis, when the ambulance came to transfer my mom from home to the hospital, telling me, Dennis, mom will never come home again. And I'm sitting here, full one-fourth of the student body. I've lost a parent. A young man comes to me and he says, My sister ran off from home, left a note. Don't try to find me. He says, I don't know. Nobody knows where she is. A sibling you've grown up with, played with, all your life just walks out the door. A teenager who wakes up and dead is gone. A teenager who has waded through an explosive church division. A young man standing across from me in the, in the interview saying, My dad is not spiritual. Because all he can think of is his cabinet business. And it wasn't anybody that's related to anybody here. I will say that, please. We have tremendous opportunities. Folks, there are... I'm not trying to paint a dark picture here, but there's a lot of hurting youth out there that walk through these doors, and you don't know, you have no idea what's going on inside. And that's part of the vision. We, I, I think, we get numb to our blessings. Just, uh, just recently, I tried to sit down, I did sit down, and say, what would it be like if I was born 117 years ago? My grandma was. She sat in her rocking chair when I was about 16 years old, and she said, Dennis, 
I wish I would have had the opportunities that you have. But somebody was not, somebody wasn't uh, satisfied with that. And they decided that their youth needed something more than that. And they, for example, World War II, half the men, half the men went to, to war, if I understand. And so they, they got a teaching program by the time World War, I mean, World War I, time World War II, they made some progress. Okay, that is because somebody cared. We have students walking here, don't have decent parental mentors. One of the questions is, on the application, how does a student relate to authority at home in the church? And if it's fair, I need to make a phone call because we can't operate on fair here. It's got to be good or excellent. All right? That's just that we have to have an understanding. Somewhere along the way, I asked a question, just arbitrary, for some odd reason. I just asked the pastor, so how are the parents going, doing? About the same. So I started asking more pastors when the fair came up. How are the parents going? About the same. You know, that puts me in a tremendous quandary. If Maranatha don't give them a chance, where are they going to get a chance? A guy in the, in, in the, in the prayer circle, whoever was leading, said, what, let's describe a good relationship between like you and your dad. Absolutely transparent, no bitterness, no nothing. This guy says, I'd like to help you out, but I never had one. But we can't run a reform school. You, you understand. You see, so what's happening at home affects what happens here. One of the original goals is to, to, to ins promote and instill an appreciation for Anabaptist Christian heritage. See, we boost what you do. We can't, we, we can't substitute. We can't, we can't be you. Well, we just take what you do and try to help along. We're just, just part of doing what we think God wants us to do. So how do you view your Anabaptist godly heritage? Is it something worth holding on to? Are the vibes your youth getting... Leading them into something that's worthwhile? Please don't expect us to do something that you're not willing to do. Does Anabaptist, does the conservative Mennonite, if you, if, if you want to just say that, conservative Mennonite Anabaptist lifestyle, valuable, in your mind. Or is it old fashioned? 
We're, we're just a little past that. And even in our best efforts, vision can change and you don't even really recognize it. I think it's, I tried to find my book. I couldn't find a book. I think it's Gary Miller's book on this side of the wall, I believe. He said there was a subtle shift in the late 1800s, early 1900s, from what my relationship with God is to how much I know about God. And that shift was brought through the Bible school efforts. Think that through. There is a distinct possibility, even in our best efforts here, that we can subtly, subtly shift from what is my relationship with God to how much I know about Him. It, be, it shifts from a spiritual growth perspective to a mental assimilation of facts. That, brothers and sisters, is tragic. Tragic beyond description. I certainly appreciated, have appreciated, have always appreciated the Maranatha Bible School Board. I believe they carry that vision. We've had men serving with vision, with integrity. You know, leading and ministering a Bible school is hard, intense, draining, but unbelievably rewarding. Lots and lots and lots of hard work. It is tremendously humbling to me to be allowed by God to be a part of that work, just a small part. A guy came to me and he says, Midwest meeting one time, he says, you still sweeping floors, Maranatha? I said, yep. That's enough. Maranatha has been a tremendous blessing. Little did I know when I walked in here at the first Midwest Ministers meeting in 1981 that I would eventually live where there's only a barbed wire fence between here and the North Pole. <laughs> As was described by somebody from Pennsylvania. I am deeply indebted to this organization for their support how you faithfully supported Maranatha with your youth, with your prayers, with your finances. We have big visions. And I've said this in a previous message here. My vision is just one more soul for Jesus Christ. Just one more. 
Let's have that vision till Jesus returns. Maranatha. <laughs>